Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. So welcome to another splendiferous episode of IRC Book Club. It's so lovely to have you here, our delightful, wonderful listeners. I'd like to start the show today by talking about a couple of things that are really important to us. Mike and I produce the show every week, and we produce it for you as a little bit of value add. What we'd love is, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, do us a favour, A, give us a little review on iTunes, and that gives us a little bit more coverage, and B, if you're feeling really generous, when you see the posts on LinkedIn, just hit like and hit share. Anyway, this week, Michael, we are talking about... Inked by Jeb Blount again. We certainly are. You feeling the love? It's all right. Only all right. You know, part of it, I, th- I tell you what part of it is, is I read the Chris Voss negotiation book, which I thought was excellent. And I've read some of Jeb's other books, which I also think are excellent. So I sort of walked into this book thinking, right, negotiation, I like the topic. It's a good topic. It's very relevant. It's very good for us. Jeb's a top guy. This is going to be great. All fired up. I think this is very clearly a negotiation book written by a salesman. So he says some stuff that I think, yeah, you're right. And he said, and, you know, we talked about it last week and I know you put a note on LinkedIn, which is it's easy to negotiate if you've got a full pipeline. Perfect. He's yeah. Absolutely bang on. Absolutely. But I don't, but that's not what I want. I want, this helps me negotiate when I've only got one thing in my pipeline. Because actually, if something's at the negotiation stage, you should be treating it like it's the only thing you've got in your pipeline. Because if you put that much work in, you want to close it. That's the reality. And it's a little bit twee of us and perhaps of the book to posit, well, you'll be all right if you've got a big pipeline. I don't think anyone's going to have big pipelines for the next year and a half. It's part, yeah, I mean, I do agree with that. But also I think what the point that Jeb makes about Chris Voss's book is Jeb goes, well, listen, nobody's going to get shot or die. Well, i tell you what, I think if you were listening to this or you're in a negotiation in June 2020 with a contract, you're bloody going to feel like you're going to die if you don't close it. Yeah, it's going to feel fairly grave, isn't it? Yeah. Now, obviously, no one's going to die, and that is true, but you're going to feel under a lot of pressure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, so what we that's got, what I think of it. We've got, it's a, I think today might not be the longest show because we're only covering one section of the book before we cover the final section next week and then the week after we have our interview with What Jeff. page are we started on, by the way? I've been uh, scrolling uh, through as we're talking. <laughs> what page are you on? Uh, I, what page on, are you on? I'm on page 187, according to my PDF, Michael. Right, okay, and, perfect. And the title of chapter 23 is Be Prepared to Negotiate. I think this is a really interesting one, actually. He makes a point. Once you've made a significant investment in a deal, and I do like the fact that he uses the word investment, because we do invest. It's time invested, yeah. That's my point. It's time invested. It's time invested, and it's our employer's money, or our own money, if you're a company director or a business owner. It can be a challenge to detach emotionally and approach the negotiation of the phase of the sales process rationally. And what he then goes back to reiterating the importance of emotional control. Um, And I actually wrote here, we're getting into some useful, usable stuff that will actually perhaps help a few people. 
I agree. I mean, I'm on page 172 here as you're talking where he's talking about confirmation bias. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think people all, you know, maybe refer to it as happy years, but I sort of get what he's on about, the guy. He's absolutely right. I wrote happy years next to that. Yeah, well, that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We all get a bit of happy years. Well, we're just going to go negotiate this deal. Everything's going great. Sell yourself. I, what I often find funny, actually, is when you've got loads of things on the go, invariably you're going to lose one because that's just sort of life. Yes. And then you lose the good one. And the bad one that you always looked and thought, oh, that's pretty bad. It just looks better somehow. <laughs> you know what I mean? You go, oh, that one looks better than I thought it was, than I thought it was actually. And that's your, that's your brain protecting you. That's all that is. What you're saying is the only girl left at the disco always looks pretty in the end. Yeah, or the only man. Yes, absolutely. Because we're a, a gender-neutral show. Yes, absolutely. And he talks about these 10 basic elements involved in, in negotiation planning, authority, stakeholder negotiation profiles, all good stuff that quite usable, useful, immediately actionable stuff. And then he talks about know what you have the authority to negotiate. Are we on so chapter what, 24 now? Uh, I think I've, I've flown through, yes. I've moved on to authority and negotiation. I thought this was a, I thought this was a good chapter, actually. What did you like about it? I'd be interested to know. There's a table on page 176. And the table is 24.1, know your authority limits. And it's very simple. It's got three columns. It says, what have you the authority to negotiate? Yeah. What other people on your team have the authority to negotiate? Non-negotiables and walkaway positions. I think clarity is very important in sales. I concur. And um, that provides clarity. Yes, it does. I'd be interested to know if we took a sample of 100 sales executives from our universe and explored the extent to which they are plotting and writing down things with that much thought and breakdown. Well, hardly or, any I would have thought. I, I'd say it's only a small few. And it's a simple little chart, but actually... What have I got the authority to negotiate here? Where can I, where can't I go? People say, well, it's, you know, that's like that classic scene from The Office, isn't it? It's all up here. Um, yes. <laughs> but actually written down, it's a lot more sobering and a lot more comforting and a lot more clear. Now, I, now I, I wrote I wasn't sure in a way about it, the whole writing it all out. And my, and my thought process was, and I'm going to come to it again, um, my concern was that I think a lot of that authority is the job of the sales leader and not the sales exec. And I actually yeah, think I, that's the job of the salesperson's manager to say, you have the authority to negotiate the following. And to be incredibly, it's, it's almost more than that. It's marketing and the sales operations job to say, here is your list of negotiation parameters. Here is your list of authorities of what you do and don't have authority. You know, we used to have it with when we had a bigger team that they could, they had like almost little pick lists of what they could and couldn't negotiate on a contract. And as a result, they knew where they could and couldn't go. And then they knew what they did and didn't need directorial sign off for. So they could close they much more quickly. I mean, I'm going to take you on to page 178, 178 actually, as go a on, part then. of your point. Because he so does say he's a double edged sword. 
Yeah, yeah. So the double-edged sword of negotiation authority. Negotiation authority is a funny thing. It can be double-edged sword. I often hear people complaining about not having the authority to negotiate certain items. They believe that it makes them weak in front of buyers. I explained to them that it is just the opposite. Not having authority gives you strength. It allows you to get on the buyer's side of the table. Now, the last bit, it allows you to get on the buyer's side of the table. I think actually Jeb misses the point. When I worked at Howard Jackson in 2001, how much could I negotiate? Not one bit. So what did it make everybody that worked at that company do? Made you sell your nuts off. All the time. You sold hard. All of the time. And let's get it right. They were the most expensive in the market. (laughs) You knew it was that price or nothing. It was those terms or nothing. And if you came back to one of the directors and said, can I negotiate on that? They'd go, no. And and it was very clear. And they'd go, yeah, no. So you either... So you either won the sale on, on, on Criteria X or you didn't win it. And it wasn't just about price. It was about how the client deals with us. Yeah. Um, can I, does the client would say, can I have a look at the CVs and then, look at my, and then I'll look at my diary? No. no. Well, do you want to check that with your boss? No. Couldn't negotiate <laughs> at all. There was so no my, leeway. But, it, it was all no. our way or the highway. And, and, and that's my issue. In fairness, it's Jeb's issue, actually, with the authority limits table, which is a good concept, but I bet my life that if salespeople or some salespeople walk into a deal knowing what they can negotiate, I bet they negotiate straight away. And I bet they are then into asking for um, other things. And I remember how a Jackson, let's say the percent was 5% of basic salary, I remember one of my colleagues, Pete Donahue, who I don't think works in the market anymore. Um, he got a client, he got uh, one of the directors, I think it might have been Pete or Dave, to allow Howard Jackson to deal with a client at 4%. He phoned me and let me know. And he went, by the way, Mike, I know you're struggling to get into client X. Dave's let me do this at 4%. The first thing I did was phone the client and said, listen, if I could do it at 4%, what do you reckon? The client went, yep. So I then phoned up probably you or Dave or whoever it was and went, listen, I battled my heart out. I just can't get anywhere. Oh, can we do this at 4%? And you, oh, I don't think so. And I went, well, such and such doing it at 4%. And everyone, and everyone went, oh, okay, yeah, you can. And it's just that little... So what you're saying is the moment a sales leader creates a fallback a parameter, it creates yeah. a precedent within an organization that the rest of the team will chase. I think because so, the yes. moment so the rest of the very dangerous. Goes, well, hold on a minute. He got that discount on that deal. Where's my yep. discount? I want to get this deal. Uh, I want to get this deal over the table, over the Correct, line. Yeah. Sorry, I, I I get where you're at. So actually, you're, you're saying as much as I'm saying it's the responsibility of the sales leader to create parameters. Actually, sometimes it's better that there are no parameters. No parameters. How much can you negotiate at Apple? Yeah. Can I, well, uh, do you know how much I can tell you, Mike? As a business customer, they have four percent leeway. Oh, so well, we, literally wall to wall Apple. Our business is wall to wall Apple. If we went into the Apple store tomorrow to see our business account manager, and we bought a new Mac, we get four percent. And I know there's no point. I've tried it. There is no. It's well, go and buy a PC then. That's exactly, the fallback yeah. position. Is go and buy a PC, son. What do you reckon it's like negotiating at Bentley Motors? <laughs> Can I negotiate? No. Sorry, what? Uh, do you know? And actually, those strong brands, they're strong in that way. But how easily could you negotiate at Citron? 
Well, we bought, we, we, my daughter is driving a Citroen, and the deal, was... the deal that we signed is monumentally different to the initial deal that was offered. I mean, I to, say, to say it's different is just, it, it's a universe away from the initial offer. My wife's BMW. That was ridiculous, the negotiation with that. And I knew it was going to be ridiculous because the minute I pushed him, he just crumbled straight away. Because he obviously had a negotiation parameter to the lads that opposite me. <laughs> I, I, I so, didn't even get into, can you give me your best price? Let's say he said it was a tenner. And I said, I'll tell you what, how about a fiver? He went £7.50. I thought, God, that was easy. But we can I, definitely go to a fiver. I wonder if in some industries, it's not even so much about whether the leadership sets the parameters. I wonder sometimes whether the leaders have parameters themselves. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure, you know, let's say my BMW cost five quid, it probably cost a quid to make, didn't it? And somebody went, the acceptable gross profit is two quid, so we can go to three quid or whatever. Yeah, you pitch up at month anyway. end, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, and then the next chapter is stakeholder negotiation profiles, negotiation list, BATNA, BATNA rankings, and he talks about developing a negotiation profile for the stakeholders who will be involved directly or indirectly in the sales negotiation is a crucial part of preparing for the conversation. For each stakeholder, you will analyze motivation level, negotiation role, a said buyer persona, individual success criteria, negotiation list, perceived alternatives. Um, the challenge I have with this part of the book is I, I'm a, a, a died in the wool Miller Hyman guy, Mike. So I look at this and Me I just too. think, I'm not going to pick up this methodology. I'm not changing you know, it. Because if I, I was. I, Negotiation, yeah. I was involved in an enterprise sale, I'd go straight back to my Miller Hyman training that worked for me over and over and is still highly relevant. I mean, I agree with you, but I did think it was a good model. If you didn't have a model, that's a good model. I thought it was a great model. I mean, I'm not going to use it. I think the other part of the model, and I've got to say, this bit of the book, of Jeb's book, is better um, than Voss's book for me. Well, he's Actually, mapping support. out the individual stakeholders, blah, blah, much, much, much better, I thought. Yeah, you're getting some real takeaway stuff, aren't you? I'm not going to use it, but I'm not, not going to use it because I didn't like it. I thought it was excellent, actually. Yeah. But I just <laughs> think it's better. I've written here on page 184, Pricey will love this, tables and real advice. Exactly, yeah. Everybody yeah. needs a model to follow. Yeah, we do. And a, a, a model's a good thing. And then he talks about motivation, power, position, qualifier analysis and parameters, which we've sort of touched upon about motivations derived from emotions and desire. And then I, I, I like his whole thing with the one to five motivation, their motivation, your power position, their power position. I really liked that little table, actually, figure 25.3. Yeah, all good. I thought it was excellent. Really yeah. good. And then he talks about developing your give-take playlist. And again, I really did say here, and this is what we've already talked about a little bit, the, the give-take playlist of what you can and can't give in a deal. I really do think that is the job of the leader, Mike, the more I think about it. I don't disagree with you. I didn't, I didn't look at it as, a, in, as individual roles and responsibilities. I looked at it as a, actually, you know, how uh, relevant, how usable is that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I get your point about it. But, but, but it's very difficult being a sales leader, though, isn't it? Because right here, right now, we're filming this one on the 15th of April. Yeah. There'll be a set, you know, it's, it's Easter week. Yes, it there'll is. There'll be a sales salesperson somewhere going, oh, listen, boss, I should have to give him 20% off. We can get it signed at the end of this week. 
And you just know that that manager's going to go, yeah, all right, fine. It takes a strong leader to say, no, mate, I've told you what the parameters are. So exactly. It, told, uh, and that all comes back down to the conversations we've had perennially as we've discussed this book, which is about pipeline. Uh, but two things, yeah, pipeline and let's take Apple as the example. If you phone up Apple this afternoon and go, listen, coronavirus is going to see a 35% decrease in GDP for a quarter in the UK. Can I have a more than 4% off my, off my uh, Mac? They're going to go, no? Maybe they will, though. To be fair, they've been all over me, the business team, in the last couple of weeks. Have they? Yeah, hustling, hustling. Do you need anything else? Anything else we can get you? Need any Mac? Got anything you need refreshing? da 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 So maybe even, Apple could, maybe even Apple could get a little bit feisty on some of the uh, discounts over the next quarter or two. Well, we'll see, won't we? But, you know, I, I agree with your point. You know, big enough pipeline um, is, is really the answer. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, I like this bit, business outcome map and the metrics that matter. What page are you on? I'm on page 189. And I put okay, here, really I, useful. I like this custom- chapter, so you're in the right place for me. Yeah. Um, and 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 he's put really. I've written here useful stuff. Keeps the customer's eye on the prize. Candidates tend to screw up when they negotiate and stop selling. And what I mean by that is, what he's talking about here is mapping before you walk into the negotiation, mapping the whole thing as to why the customer actually agreed to put you as vendor of choice. And actually, yes. well, I mean, we- bringing the customer back to that. And I often get this when candidates are negotiating job offers. They, oh, but, you know, you took the words out of mouth. That's what I was going to exactly raise with you. Hundred percent agree. Where they get to the job offer, and they, they, uh, at that point, usually as a recruiter, you lose a little bit of control of the process because the candidate usually does it with the client. It's hard to completely own that, and the yeah, candidates I, I get issue with carried that, away. But the mistake that they often tend to make is that they stop keeping the hiring manager's eye on the prize. Notably, yes. this is why you wanted to hire me. And it's a line I often give people is, if you're hiring me, it's because you accept I'm going to hit target next year. If you don't accept I'm going to hit target next year, I'd rather you didn't offer me the job, actually. Yeah, good call. And in the same I, way... I, ne- I never do that, actually. And I, 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 with the candidates, I, I'll say to them, do you want to take the job, yes or no? And they'll go, oh, I'll negotiate. I say, well, that wasn't the question. <laughs> That wasn't the question I asked you. Right. And they go, uh, what do you reckon? You. That's very you. Well, it's true though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I get it. I feel it. And so in the same way, what Jeb is getting at here is actually a key part of a pre-meeting preparation process is the ability to actually bring the customer psychologically and emotionally and mentally back to a place where they remember why they're in the negotiation room with you in the first place and the return on investment they think they can get and getting back to that mental point of leverage and reminding them that actually they want to buy your stuff. It makes a very good point. I and I, and I thought that was a really, really useful point. And a, 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 it's so easy, I think, when you're negotiating anything to get lost you know, particularly when you've got those big contracts and, you know, lots of our candidates get involved in contract negotiations, some of which are enormous. I was talking to a guy this morning. He was telling me he's working on a tender that's got 3,000 questions in it. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's, that's crazy, but, isn't it? 
3,000 questions. I mean, it's a deal that's worth uh, in excess of 20 million pounds in the healthcare space. Um, and, but if you imagine what the size and complexity of the contract will be for the, for the awarded vendor, imagine negotiating that contract with people when you're that far away from the customer remembering why they made you vendor of choice. Well, I mean, let's be clear, we've got one of the biggest negotiations in history that's been slightly overshadowed by COVID, which is, which is Boris has got to negotiate Brexit. Yeah, he's still got to get that bit done. You know, what's the eye on the prize for Brexit, you know, for the Europeans and, and the Brits? Well, I'll tell you what, given that uh, some of our, our fellow counterpart European economies are going to be in an even worse state than our own, for the first time ever, I have to confess, Mike, I'm quite pleased that we're out of it. Yeah, but the point is, between if you could speak to those two parties and say to each party, listen, before we get into hard border, soft border, blah, 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 what do you want to get out of this? Oh, well, we, we want our sovereignty and we want to be able to deal with, with the Europeans. And then the Europeans, we want to be able to sell our cars to you. Right, okay. Let's yeah. keep that in mind. That's what Jeb's sort of saying, really. I might send this book to Boris. Yeah, uh, I think I'd go a bit more Chris Voss than necessarily... Uh, inked if I was sending it to Boris but he's got plenty yes, of time on his hands because he's recuperating at checkers <laughs> he is yeah he is so and then he took he comes back again to begin by building a complete inventory of every potential concession you have at your disposal brainstorm everything you, you use as leverage I'm on page are you going to come to chap are you going to come to table 26.1 have I did you like I'm on 26.3 have I missed 26.1 Yes, yeah, so I'll skip past it. I can see why, but I liked it. You know, I like 26.3 as well. The you know, negotiation a, parameters analysis. Yeah, I like a lot of it in here. You know, yeah. 26.1 is your concession calculation. 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 I've been drinking because I'm working from home. <laughs> uh, concession inventory and commission and profit it's impact. It's not that I, bad, Mike. I, if, I, if I give this away, how much commission is it going to cost me? Oh, I missed that. Is that what he's saying? Yeah. I mean, it's a that's fair comment, isn't it? That's really cool. Where's that? Uh, 192. 192. 192. So he's saying you walk in knowing, actually, before you kick off, not only what your... Ah, yes, I see 26.1. So he's saying... Not only do you have a list of where you can and can't go as fullback positions, but you calculate before you walk into the meeting what that is worth to you personally in pounds, shillings and pence financially if you therefore make those concessions. Yeah. Now, I think you get a lot of this in the services market, particularly where the day rate might be a grand, but actually you've got a, you've got a GP rate on top of your day rate. So, you know, it might be a £1,000 per person per day from a services perspective, the cost price for the people is 700. You walk out going, oh, brilliant. I got that. Yeah, 800 pounds a day. You've actually cost yourself two thirds of your commission. Correct. I think what Jeb's saying is, come on, that's fine, everything. You've got to get the deal, deal but you know, what, at what cost are you getting that deal? Yeah, and knowing in your own heart of hearts, at what point does it, from a commission perspective, not wash it? Never mind your employer's profitability point. At what point, from your own commission perspective, does the deal cease to wash its face? Yes, exactly. Which I think is, and looking at that, I mean, literally, a table doesn't get more simple, does it? Two columns, concession yeah, inventory, and commission and profit impact. 
You know, how many of our candidates do that, uh, Non? But I'll tell you what, over the course of a year, let's just say you won 10 deals over the course of a year and you had to negotiate each deal, and you walked into that negotiation meeting with that in front of you, I bet every salesperson that did it would earn a couple thousand pounds more that year. Well, it's Business Basics Minimum. 101. It's Business Basics 101. I want to increase my turnover by 10%. All right, increase your price by 10%. I want to increase my commission rate by 10%. Okay, uh, increase your sell position by 10%. Yeah. Well, this goes back and actually, to the, how, how, yeah. And how much do a lot of these salespeople negotiate by or get beat up by something more than 10%? <laughs> But we've talked about this again. There's a lot of seasonality in this with that whole quarter thing, you know, and how often we see com- salespeople running around like somebody's electrocuted yeah, them yeah. because it's quarter end and all of a sudden they are giving ridiculous discounts and giving commission away. I was talking, to a, salesper- away, yeah. I was talking to a salesperson the other day who was bullied a little bit at quarter end into a deal and, and he was saying, that come quarter and he'd been bullied a little bit by his boss into closing the deal and had given a lot of commission away that he didn't need to give away. Whereas his boss is on a lower commission rate. His boss is on a lower commission rate and his boss is probably paid in an entirely different way and doesn't care because he just wants the deal over the line to keep the wolf from the door and keep his boss off his back. Yeah, but if the salesperson had closed more already, Jonathan, how much pressure would his boss be putting on him? Possibly less. Because yeah. the salesperson could turn around and go, yeah, whatever, boss, I'm 100% target. You're not going to fire me because I'm 100% target. And I'm not going to do it. And actually, if you, if, you were the, and if you are to target, and if you have got enough in your pipeline, you just tell your boss, yeah, client can't sign this quarter, boss. You could lie or you could tell him the truth. I am not going to do that. I am 100% of target and you're not going to fire me. And you're not going to push me into discounting on this deal today. See you. No, actually, <laughs> how many salespeople are going to say that? Not many, but none of none would get fired for it. No, very rare. Very hard to ha- very hard to fire a salesman who's hundred percent to target, particularly now. Particularly anyway, we've we'll talked so, a lot about that chap. That's the yeah. end chapter of that part. But I I thought that has been the best part of the book for me. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of other interesting bits. The give take playlist, which I quite liked. Um, yeah, you have this. I'll have that. Yeah, completely. And what he talks about there was something I liked there, which was uh, what he talks about. Fun- he calls it funny money a non-monetary concession that feels valuable to the other side but costs you little. And having a list of, these are my funny money things I can give away. But I wrote here again that for me, that's more about leadership and salesmanship. It's the sales leader's duty to know what the funny money concessions are within the business that his salespeople can and can't give away. Yeah, I agree with that. That was my thought process anyway. So it's been a shorter episode. I think last week we really went on a bit because it was two big sections and we talked an awful lot. This week we've covered section six. Next week we're covering the last section and discussion. And then the week after that we have Jeb on the show coming to you, not live, but fairly excitingly. So thank you very much for listening. I'd like to finally, before we go, remind you, If you like what you're listening to and you're enjoying IRC Book Club, A, make sure you have given us a review on iTunes or any of the other podcast platforms. iTunes would be great because it's the biggest one. And B, if you like what you see when you're looking at the micro content for Book Club that we put out on the show and that we put out on LinkedIn and so on, do us a favor, smash the like button and smash the share button and get the content out there so it makes us know that it's worth continuing to produce the show. Great to see everybody today. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.